I invite you to turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we begin reading at verse 12, and we'll read <clears throat> through to verse 24. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. Listen, this is God's Word. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Well, about a year and a half ago, there was a period of time, about a six-week period of time, really, where if you had walked by my car and looked in the window, you might have seen either on the front passenger seat or on the front passenger floorboard an empty, partially crushed aluminum beer can. That beer can and I traveled around for about six weeks and for two reasons. First, about half the time it was on the floor out of my sight, and I entirely forgot it was there. And the other half of the time, I would get into my car, I would happen to see it on the floor, and I would say to myself, oh yeah, I really need to throw that in the trash. And so I would bend over and pick it up and put it on the passenger seat to remind myself it was there. The problem was, most of the times when I remember to put it on the seat to remind myself to take it and to throw it into the trash, most of those times were on Sunday mornings. So I would roll into the church parking lot as so many of you were strolling into the building for worship and you can see my dilemma, can't you? Imagine your pastor walking into the building at 9.20 a.m., Sunday morning, Bible in one hand, beer can in the other. 
So I would reach over and swat that can back onto the floor and hope that no one would look into the window as they walked by because everyone knows I drive a 20-year-old silver Volkswagen GTI and I always park it in the same spot by the second island uh, in the back parking lot there. And I would probably forget about it. Well, if you're visiting with us today, we've just begun a sermon series on Bible verses often misunderstood and therefore misapplied. And I've given this series the rather inelegant title, You Keep Using That Verse, I Do Not Think It Means What You Think It Means. And 1 Thessalonians 5.22 is such a verse, especially as it has come down to us and as it has shaped, maybe even seared, the consciences of Christians in the form it appears in the King James Version of the Bible, which is abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Very simply, this text, in that form, as it has been uh, taught and as it has been heard, is used to say it's not just that as Christians we are to avoid evil, to avoid doing evil, participating in evil, but we're to abstain from anything that might appear to others as if it is evil. So if any act or if anything appears to someone else to be evil, we must therefore abstain from it. It's not enough to avoid evil or not to engage in evil practices. We're to abstain from even looking like we might be engaged in evil while others are watching us. And you can see how this immediately uh, places the one watching us in the position of judging our conduct. If someone else thinks the activity in which we are engaged is evil, or if it appears to them to be sin, we must abstain from it. Or even if they associate our actions with something else that is evil, what we are doing is, in their view, guilty of being evil by association, by a second or third degree, sometimes of association. One author says this, and I love this, I confess that whenever I encounter this verse, I picture old, withered saints shaking their bony fingers in a young believer's face and exhorting him about some questionable behavior. In this recurring scenario, the godly, mature Christians find it necessary to exhort the younger saints not because they have done something that is evil, but simply because they behaved in a manner that could have the appearance of being evil. In other words, you can start to understand the application of this text in that kind of framework, how it breeds a kind of judgmentalism. Or why the New Testament scholar Daniel Wallace calls this the sin-sniffer's catch-all verse. Part of the goal of this series is to be corrective. I'm guessing most of you, if you weren't aware of, 
First uh, Thessalonians 5.22, as it appears in the ESV, have probably heard it or learned it as it comes to us through the King James Version. If you've never thought of it this way, then be grateful. If you uh, are finding yourselves corrected and hear others using it in this way, I'm encouraging you to be gentle and humble. There are at least two problems with this approach or understanding of 522 and this way of imagining that we're to abstain from everything that looks to others like it's sin or evil. The first is, and as always, it's helpful to understand the context. Every verse we are looking at in this series will be, uh, will imagine and to discover it's misunderstood and therefore misapplied because it's yanked out of its context. Look at what Paul's doing in 1 Thessalonians. He's writing to a church, exhorting them to Christian living. And he describes these Christians early on as those who have turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. And as those who are waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Of course, we understand, and Paul says in many other places, that Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come, does so by virtue of his coming, of his entering into our world, taking on our sin, conquering sin and Satan and evil, paying for it on the cross. This is the Jesus for whom the Thessalonians are waiting and looking. In the meantime, in chapter 4, Paul urges them to live lives that please God and to live out God's will for their lives, which, by the way, includes, he says, that they abstain from sexual immorality. A clearly defined sin, they're to abstain from it. He encourages them to continue in love and affection for one another, to wait for the coming day of the Lord, to not be discouraged by his apparent delay. And then beginning at chapter 512, as we picked up our reading, he starts to give them a list of final instructions. They're to respect and to esteem highly their pastors and elders. They're to be at peace with each other, and so on down the list. And then at verse 19, he concludes this by telling them not to quench the Spirit, not to despise prophecies, rather to test them. In other words, they're to use discernment in what they are hearing. They're to judge whether what they're being told comports with God's Word And they're to judge even if what they're being told is purporting to be or is claimed to be inspired by the Spirit of Christ, but is contrary to His revealed will. And so, if you keep reading verse 21, He urges them to hold fast to what is good, the teachings that are good, and they're to abstain from teachers and false teachings that are evil. Hold on to the good, throw out the bad. So one way of understanding this text, at least, is to have this uh, limited sense of what is to what the evil refers, that is, to false teaching. 
Now, not everyone accepts that rendering uh, or reading in context, and so I want to as well give you another option. If it's not the case that he's speaking only in a more limited way of false teaching, we still have to reckon with the King James Version's rendering of verse 22 as most of us have heard it and received it and, has, and as this has, for so many of us, shaped the way we live. The word translated in the King James Version as appearance, as you see it in the ESV, as uh, form, appearance. That's the same word that uh, gets used in Luke 3.22 at the baptism of Jesus. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form, in appearance, as bodily, as a dove. Or uh, we think of the words of the Apostle John, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he really is. Or if you want the counterexample to the way our text has been understood and applied in the words of our Lord in John chapter 7, do not judge by appearance, by what you see, but judge with right or just judgment. So the idea in our text, and again, part of this problem is a challenge of old English usage, but that has managed to become a kind of basis of ethical living, is that our text actually is saying we're to mark and, to, and we're to avoid every observable manifestation of evil. In every way, shape, or form. Every time evil shows up, in every way, shape, or form, we're to avoid it. So a better translation is, as we have it in the ESV, avoid or abstain from every form of evil, every expression, manifestation of evil. Well, you can see the difference already, can't you? The standard for judging whether or not to participate in an activity becomes then not what other people think might be evil or what they might associate with evil or what might appear to them to be evil or what appears to them to be too closely associated with something they think is evil, but with what really is evil because God has said it is evil. And so when God gives us in His revealed will and His word, these things are evil, don't do them, flee from them, abstain from them, we're to follow that. Every time evil comes in any expression, we are to avoid it and not participate in it. But the standard now is God, not what other people might think. Again, Peter tells us, as we've already heard today, in chapter 2, verse 11, from his first letter, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. In other words, please don't mishear me, as some of you might be tempted to hear me, say, well, this means, therefore, I can 
throw myself headlong into evil. That's not the application. You see, so much more could be said about the holiness of God, about his hatred for sin, or of the call to us from the very beginning of the world to be able to discern between what is good and what is evil. Go back to the garden for a moment. Or the call to Christians to embrace the good, to shun the evil. Or how we are already declared in Christ to be holy and simultaneously called to live in holiness. Having been renewed by His Spirit after the image of God's Son. The Bible has plenty to say about being alert to the power of the temptation to sin, about the weakness of our flesh, about the distorted desires and affections of our hearts, about our own inclination, our proneness to want to see how close we can get to something that is clearly sin, so described by God in His Word. And the Bible has plenty to say about the prowling presence of Satan who seeks to devour us. Please hear that. The Bible has things to say about our, their, God's concern that we not lead others astray, including weaker brothers or sisters in the faith. But that we're to follow with our whole hearts the one Jesus Christ who lived in perfect obedience and who associated with sinful people, even eating and drinking with them, so that to the eyes of the Pharisee, those who were watching him, he himself appeared to be and was called a glutton and a drunkard. With Jesus our, as our example, but with Jesus as our Savior, you keep using that verse. I do not think it means what you think it means. In other words, there are plenty of places in Scripture where God calls us to holiness, where He makes it very clear what is righteous living and what is sinful living, what is evil, what is good, what is destructive, and what is life-giving. Verse 22 of 1 Thessalonians 5 is not the place to go lifted out of context to tell you that you should not engage in any activity that any other Christian might look at and think might be sin. You see, I grew up on the King James Version, and you can imagine why this verse always seemed to pop into my head when I sat in the back parking lot wondering what to do with my beer can. How would it appear to you? I imagined some of you would have been offended simply by its presence, either in my hand or in my car. Others of you would have been rightly horrified if you thought I had been drinking and driving. Clearly, a sin and a crime. Still others might have been thinking, well, it looks like 
the pastor is hitting it early, looking for a little liquid courage before stepping into the pulpit, which would also be a sinful solution to a problem for which I am to depend on the power of the Spirit of Christ. And some of you would have been justifiably horrified if you had noticed that it was a Budweiser can. (laughs) And you're probably wondering why I had a beer can in my car at all. Well, I'll tell you. One Sunday, I was, I think, the last one to leave this property after morning worship. And as I made my way down that driveway, as you all do, every driver did that day, I stopped just as I reached County Line Road. And I did what every driver does. I looked left, I looked right. I looked left again, and there it was. On the grass, 10 feet in from the driveway, not far from the church sign. And without really thinking about it, other than to have what I think might be a spirit-shaped basic instinct about litter and our church's witness to those people driving down County Line Road, I parked the car, jumped out, went over to pick it up, and it wasn't until then that I even realized it was a beer can. I threw it on the floor of my car, and I drove away, and several thoughts began to cross my mind. I need to throw this thing in the trash. It won't do any good to have the pastor seen driving around with an empty Budweiser can or to be stopped and pulled over to be arrested for an open container. But closely following that thought was the, the, was the very thing I want to warn you about today because it happened to me. My inner Pharisee came out. I became the hero of my own story. I wondered, how many people were at church that morning? And since everyone drives out the same way and stops at the end and looks left and looks right and looks left, I wonder how many people saw that can and decided, oh, that's probably the pastor's job. You see, I became the Good Samaritan who came along after everyone else had looked and, 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 just, and turned their gaze. I repented of that. I really did. I really did think all those things. Abstain from every appearance, all appearance of evil. I realized much later, I was actually putting myself in in jeopardy in some way because someone was going to see that can. My final thought as I made my way home and promptly forgot about the can on the floor of my car was, this will make a good sermon illustration someday. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, how quick we are to judge other people by our own standards. Forgive us. 
Father, would you also inform us by your word of what your holiness is like and how short we fall of it ourselves, of how quick we are to establish our own righteousness, to condemn others, or to hold them to our standard, not your word's standard. How we thank you on this day that Jesus has come, has been the demonstration of your perfect holiness and justice and wrath in his death on the cross for us. How we thank you that he has conquered sin and Satan and evil. And we thank you for your spirit who gives us eyes to see and ears to hear and wisdom to discern in matters less clear who also grants us freedom to live in your kingdom with joy and delight in your good gifts. We have much to learn. Some of us have specific things to repent of. We all desire to grow, not only in our clearer grasp of your word, but in our obedience to Jesus, in our desire to live holy lives that reflect your glory, that honor you, and that are part of our witness to the world. Lord, we ask this all in Jesus' precious and powerful name, and all God's people say together, amen.